Hi there, thanks for joining me for this week's Sports Stories podcast. This is episode number 26, and believe me, it will be a good one. Last week, I spoke to Sanjeev Arora, a passionate football fan and sports lawyer who worked for FIFA and negotiated some large broadcasting deals. Well, on a weekly basis, the Sports Stories podcast gives a platform for individuals to share their sporting journey, the highs and lows, and a deep insight into providing you, the listener, with inspiration, information, and motivation. Well, I can assure you today's guest will also not disappoint and will deliver on all fronts. I'm delighted to welcome Jason Gillespie as my special guest on the Sports Stories podcast today. Jason led a fantastic playing career as a cricketer, both in Australia and England. He took over 100 wickets for Australia national team, bowling at about 90 miles an hour. He more recently has coached at an international level with Zimbabwe and has had stints with the Indian Premier League, the Big Bash League and the English County Championship. I first met Jason when he was head coach at Yorkshire before he moved to Sussex. I think it's safe to say he has had a very positive impact on the county game in England. I'm really looking forward to speaking with him at a time when he is drawing this chapter of his coaching career to a close, leaving England and returning to Adelaide to coach the South Australian Redbacks. As always, please let us know what you have enjoyed about the podcast or any other aspects that have resonated and really helped you progress towards being the best version of yourself. Take a look at the show notes and also keep an eye out on usual social channels to find out how you can access further resources through the Sports Stories Academy. The momentum is definitely building and I'd just like to thank you, the listener, for your continued support. So let's get on with today's pod. It gives me great pleasure to welcome today's guest, Jason Dizzy Gillespie, former cricketer, now coach and an all-round great bloke to the Sports Stories podcast. Jace, thanks a lot, mate, for joining me on the Sports Stories podcast. I really appreciate Pleasure. you giving up the time. I'm conscious this is a really interesting time of your career, given that you're coming towards the end of being in the UK and you've made such a massive impact on the county game here. So again, thanks for that and giving up your space and time. I'm also really conscious, you know, you speak to the press a lot and you've had a, a lot of interviews over the last short while. So again, I appreciate you giving me your time and, and also giving us a bit more of an insight into who you are and a little bit about what's going on both in the cricket world but also you as a person because yep. that's when I first got to know you was when you were coming towards uh, the middle of your time at Yorkshire you know we built up a bit of a connection there and I really got to know you and your philosophy so if we can delve into a bit of that that'll be fantastic so a good starting place Jace just to kick us off yeah you know, how or why did you get into cricket you know in the early stages uh Dave, yeah, I mean, cricket for me, uh, geez, it's been part of my life for so <laughs> long, mate. Um, I, I do remember distinctly, I, I must have been about oh, six years of age, so this is about 81, yeah. <laughs> a long time ago now. Um, I, I just remember uh, turning TV on once and, and Australia was playing uh, a game uh, on, on television and I just, what the heck's this game? And, uh, just started watching it and just pretty much became hooked uh, very early in the piece and just found I, I really enjoyed this this sport that was on TV. Um, so then I'd hound my dad to uh, get me a cricket bat and we'd have a tennis ball and I'd just start trying to copy what they did on, on TV. And it literally just went from there. I think the love affair with the game started at, at that very young age and... Um, and it, it literally just went from there. I, I do remember, because um, we were living, I was born in Sydney and, and grew up in New South Wales and, uh, until I was about 10 years of age. And, you know, I, I do remember distinctly going on a holiday. Mum and dad had booked a, 
uh, a holiday house. I mean, I think it's cool. They call it Airbnb these days. <laughs> it's changed um, a bit. <laughs> it's changed a bit, but at a holiday house a couple of hours south of Sydney. And, and it was my, my mum and dad, myself and uh, my brother. My, my baby brother hadn't been born at that stage. Uh, so it was just me and my, my other brother. And, um, and I remember the family were going down to the beach for the day because we, we stayed in this holiday house. It was near the beach. And, uh, but I said, I, I, can't, I can't come down to the beach. And mum and dad are sort of looking at me thinking, what, what's going on? And I must have only been eight years of age at the time. I said, well, I can't go down because um, Australia are playing a one-day game uh, <laughs> on TV. And uh, I'm not – and I, I, was, I was so obsessed with the game that I couldn't even miss a ball. So, like, I wouldn't get something to eat or grab a drink or go to the toilet or anything if it meant I was going to miss a ball that was bowled in the game. Um, was your, Jess, what was your obsession, do you think? What, what actually drew you into it? Yeah, I, I can't uh, put a, uh, anything specific on it, Dave. I, I just love the game. I, I watched it on TV. I got Dad to throw me some tennis balls while I was batting or I'd bowl some balls to him. I, I just yeah. thought it was just a fantastic thing. And the fact that it lasted so long, it meant I could play all day. I thought that was pretty cool uh, yeah. rather than, um, than doing something else. But uh, no. <laughs> Was it was your dad into it, and was the family into cricket in the early days, or was this sort of something new you brought to the family? Well, that was yeah, that's a bizarre thing. Like, there's no history of cricket at all in our family on, on either side of the family. Uh, I think dad dabbled in cricket as a kid, watched a little bit, but not really that into it. Mum didn't know much about cricket before I got into it. Um, I mean, it's fair to say that once I started playing and going through the ranks, I think my parents became quite obsessed with the game. Yeah. And uh, to this day, my mum uh, loves watching cricket on TV. Uh, she's, you know, in her mid-60s now. Yeah. Um, loves the game. Um, my father, unfortunately, passed away. But, you know, until he passed away, he was a, um, was a huge, huge supporter of the game. Loved it. Loved everything about it. Um, became a bit of a cricket tragic, so much so that he'd start to collect memorabilia in cricket um Brilliant. so it became a bit of a bit of a badger really <laughs> what, what role did they play in supporting you you think what's what impact did they have on you as a as an up-and-coming cricketer going through the ranks oh exactly that they just support um yeah. they just knew how much i loved it and and just the great parents that they were they yeah. they were just there to lend a hand um i mean i, I remember you know being ferried around to training sessions, games, everything. Uh, Mum and dad were wonderful. Um, I look, I remember countless Christmas days, you know, in, in Adelaide when we were in Adelaide and uh, when we moved to Adelaide when I was a kid. Um, you know, Christmas Day was spent. You, you wake up, you open your presents, you, yeah. um, have, you know, play with your presents for hours on end and then have a big Christmas lunch. And, and I remember a number of occasions where I would hound my dad so much, especially if I got something new for cricket, like a new cricket ball or a new cricket bat, I'd be saying, Dad, we've got to go to the nets and practice. And on Christmas morning, like 10 o'clock in the morning, and I'm, you know, knowing now as an adult, I'm looking <laughs> back thinking, oh, my poor dad, he, he probably wanted nothing more than to, uh, you know, sit down with a, with a nice cold beverage and enjoy his Christmas day. Um, but there he was bowling at me for two hours in the nets up in 40 degree heat and at the local school in Adelaide on Christmas morning. Um, but you know, that was the, the measure of the man and what he wanted for his kids. And, um, you know, I always remember that. And, um, yeah, brilliant. 
you know, they're just, but yeah, just that word support. They, they were just there. They, they saw how much I loved my cricket. Um, they ultimately fell in love with the game. And, you know, as I went around, went along in my journey in, in the sport, um, you know, they were an ever presence. Ever presence. And, and it also sounds like, Jace, that they kind of learnt the, the game of cricket through you as opposed to having a preconceived idea of it before you came along to it. Yeah, I think so, Dave. Um, most certainly. Because, uh, as I said, they didn't really yeah. know a lot about the game. I think Dad, Dad watched a few games here and yeah. there, but he never really played it other than maybe with his brothers and sisters in the backyard growing up. But, um, but there certainly wasn't cricket wasn't the central part of the, the on my dad's side, their, their lifestyle, and, and certainly not on my mum's side. Um, you know, sport was was a big part of uh, both my parents' lives growing okay. up, but, but cricket just didn't seem to be uh, one of those things. My dad played rugby league. Um, <laughs> my mum was uh, and all her sisters, so all her all her sisters and, and, and my nan, uh, they were all into marching, and um, so you know, and, and various track and field sports and things like that. So, so sport was always in our family. Um, At a high yeah. level, Jason, you know, in terms of performance or did they do it recreationally? What kind of, you know, what kind of... Uh, I, I think dad with rugby league, he uh, sort of almost looked to start taking it semi-seriously. But I think, um, you know, once he got into the workforce and... Uh, you know, the rugby players got bigger and stronger. I, I think he fell by the wayside there. Um, I mean, he loved it. was always a lifelong supporter of rugby league. Um, but then I think once he got working and started a family, that all took over. Uh, and then mum, same thing. You know, once uh, she had me quite young, um, got married young and had me quite young and, you know, um, put all their energy into family. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, sport, I, I suppose, you know, is always in and around our lives. Um, but yeah, parents made the made the decision to to put their family, put the kids first, and um, yeah, probably should be quite thankful to them for that. <laughs> well, and as I, I and as I know you as I do, you know, I know family's a really big part, and I'm sure we'll touch on that a lot as we go through in terms of you know your philosophy and your approach to the work that you do. How, how did it pan out from there? Then did you just force your own roots up and through the cricket sort of pathway? Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, I mean, I had. Um, uh, an interesting uh, way into cricket. I, I sort of, when I was in Sydney, I started very young and moved up the ranks of the local cricket club quite quickly and uh, and played some good cricket. Um, and I was getting noticed at quite a young age. Uh, then I moved to Adelaide. Dad got a job in Adelaide and we moved to Adelaide. And I played a bit of underage and schoolboy uh, stuff. And, um, and then probably my teenage years, I... I had some growing pains. I, I went through a couple of really big growth spurts and and on the back of that had some injuries and uh, and whatnot. And so I kind of lost my way a little bit as a teenager. Um, you know, I shot up. I, I finished year nine as one of the smallest kids in my class and I came back for the start of year 10 over the, after the summer holidays and I was the tallest kid in the year level. So wow. uh, I, I grew like half a foot. Um, Jason, how did you how did you manage that though? Because you know I'm conscious of a lot of people maybe listening into this, you know, uh, navigating that sort of period of growth for either their children or or their coaching in teams, you know, and and actually how did you continue through that? You know, did did you know that this was part of the deal and that actually this is going to be a challenge or who supported you around that time to stay with? Yeah, you? I looked. I didn't know it was part of the deal. Uh, I just wanted to play, and you know, yeah. I got. I was a bit disappointed, um, but as a teenager, you're not really thinking too far ahead, are you? So, yes. um, 
you know, once my body got stronger and yeah. um, growing pains and sort of just built from there. But I, I suppose I had a, um, had a bit of a light bulb moment. I was about 16, 17. Um, um, I'd, I'd been training. I, I'd, I'd been playing fourth grade. I'd been promoted from under 16s, then playing uh, in the grades, the, the senior grades. Um, and we were doing a lap of the oval. I'll never forget it. And, and I was playing fourth grade. I wasn't doing too much. I was by medium pace and batting in the middle order and not really tearing up trees or anything like that. And we're sitting around and having a stretch near the sight screen and, you know, all the A graders and B graders, everyone's just together having a stretch. Everyone's just talking. Lads are general banter that, um, you know, males have at a local sports club. And um, and just chatting away. Lads are talking about work and girls and social life and and sport and their goals for life and all that. And, you know, I was still at school and, um, one of the younger guys there and, and, and the subject came up and I, I, I just blurted out, oh, my goal is to play for Australia by the time I'm 21 and and play for uh, South Australia by the time I'm 19. And, you know, bear in mind, I was 16, nearly 17 at this point and playing D grade, I was a big, tall streak of, of misery, uh, you know, 50 pounds ringing wet. Um, clearly not someone that anyone would think could go on and have a, you know, play higher grades, let alone go on and play first class or international cricket. And and basically the whole group were there just listen just listened to me say that and they all started laughing. And uh, and they just give me all these nicknames, the Lion of Adelaide and you know, I'll listen to this guy roar and, you know, who who's this guy I think he is and um and that was the, the reason I say it was a light bulb moment yeah. for me was I could always see myself doing things, uh, having success and being really successful. So I, I had it ingrained. It was burned on my brain that I was going to play, be a professional cricketer and play for my country. I had that in my mind the whole time. Um, the light bulb moment came is when everyone laughed at me because I realised that while I could see it and I could visualise it and yeah. feel it and smell it and taste it, no one else could see it. Yeah. And... I knew then the perception that I was giving out was the reality of the situation is that no one could see me as a professional cricketer. Um, and that really hit home for me. Um, so I knew there and then I had to change. I, I had to change the perception of me. I had to do something different because what I was doing right now was not giving anyone any thought that I was someone that was on a path to, you know, uh, playing cricket at a, at a higher level. Um, so I had to change. And and I'll never forget that training session. I was, a, I was a bit grumpy. I was a bit annoyed and thinking, well, no one believes in me. And um, no one can see what I, I see and feel. Don't so you, I measured out. Sorry. No, but the two things that come to my mind there. One is, when did you get that belief? Or how did you get that belief and that visualisation and that, you know, feel it, smell it? touch it kind of it, experience it, how did that come it to was me? just a dream it was just a dream of a dream. mine um from a very young age and i just believed wholeheartedly that i was going to play for australia i wanted one of those green caps on my head yeah um i wanted to play test cricket simple as that and i wasn't going to let anything get in my way um however 
this as well, it was a really important moment in my life, I feel, is yeah. that no one else could see that. No so one else could see it. So what did you do then from that day on, once you recognised that, to, to change people's views and perceptions of yourself? Well, funny enough, I, <laughs> I actually, I was a bit grumpy, I must admit. And uh, so I went and measured out this big, long run up in the nets and I've just come in and uh, bowled the speed of light or as fast as I could possibly bowl. Because I, I, uh, um, I was always worried about getting injured and, and, and various things. And um, so I was always quite protective of my body. I'd been through growing pains and growth spurts and all this sort of stuff. Um, and I basically, that session, I've just gone to hell with it. I've, I've just got to, got to crack on here. So I, I bowled my heart out. Uh, obviously got noticed by a couple of people. People sort of saw the A-grade captain come over and watch me bowl for a little while and I just ignored it. I just went on and cracked on and just bowled fast. And, um, and then someone came up to me and said, oh, what's happened to you? What are you doing? I said, oh, I'm just trying to bowl as fast as I can here. And, uh, and then I finished training. I got in my car. I went home. I put on my running shoes and I went for a run. I started doing push-ups and sit-ups in front of the TV. I'm thinking, well, I've got to be fitter. I've got to be stronger. Um, so I had a, just a real attitude shift. And, um, you know, any little... You know, I had soreness. I'd always hide behind a little bit. Oh, I'm feeling a bit sore today. I'm a bit stiff. Oh, am I injured? All that. I, I just almost just went, you know what, to hell with it. Um, it kind of released you, it sounds like, doesn't it? It's kind of pressed it, the button to let you go. Yeah, possibly. Um, but I, I just think it was just that yeah, real clarity in the sense that um, I needed to change. I needed... I, I, it was almost like a kick up the backside that I may have needed um, that um, that got me going, uh, so to speak. Um, so, yeah, so it was a, that was an important moment, um, yeah. you know, and, you know, I, I suppose things just went from there. I had some ups and downs, but it was kind of more of a up trajectory, if that makes sense. So when you hit the downs, for instance, I'm just thinking again, are people listening and are thinking about, you know, we all have ups and downs, but it's how do we navigate ourselves out of the downs so we get back on the ups pretty quickly? How did you yep. call on that? How do you help yourself navigate through the downs, first of all? Yeah, well, I always had this philosophy for me, and it worked for me. I can't say it works for everyone else, but, yeah. um, you know, I, I did have a lot of injuries early in my career, yeah. in my professional career, and, you know, I struggled with that. And there were times I really battled with that mentally. Yeah. Um, how I got through those things, I, I, I'd always have a plan in place. Yeah. So if I, if I was injured, I'd, I'd get the advice from the experts, the physios, the doctors, whatever. Um, we'd put together a plan, um, the path back, so to speak, with the trainers and everything. Um, and I found what worked for me the best was being really rigid and disciplined and sticking to, that, to those plans, to the letter. Um, you know, so much so that I, I would make sure that even if I was in the gym, I, every single rep I would do to the best of my ability, um, every single stretching session, um, stretching session, so I, I would do to the best of my ability, I would leave no stone unturned because I thought if I'm doing absolutely everything I can, I can't do any more than that. So that sort of freed me up mentally. Um, if I'm giving myself the very best chance, and doing everything I possibly can, then what will be will be. And I'm just giving myself the best chance. So I made sure I'd, I was disciplined with all my rehabilitation. I was disciplined with my training. Um, I did everything to the best of my ability 
so that I couldn't, uh, you know, I could look in the mirror and ask myself that honest question. Did you give yourself the best chance, Jason? And yes or no. And I could always, I can honestly say I, I gave myself the best chance, you know, rehabbing, coming back from illness, injuries, whatever. Um, that freed me up mentally um, because I knew I was doing all I could to get back on the park. And do you think that started, that turning point when you're kind of in that 17s age group, did you really start building from there in terms of that philosophy? Uh, it's hard to tell, hard to pinpoint exactly. Um, yeah. But I, I certainly know when I first started to have a couple of injury niggles and, right. um, you know, I, I remember feeling a bit down at times, probably in my late teens, early 20s, just going, oh, I'm, get, I'm injured again. Um, what am I doing wrong or yeah. whatever? And I just felt maybe that um, I needed to be a bit more precise yeah. um, with absolutely everything I did. And so I, I just made a real point of being that precision in, in everything I did, the rehab, the, the training sessions, um, not just doing enough, being really precise and getting it absolutely bang on and spot on. And how, how did you get precise and manage your, the psychology and the mental side? Because, you, you know, you made the connection there that it did bring you down. How do you keep that up as well alongside Yeah, the so, so, so from, yeah, the, the psychological point of view, I found by being really precise yeah, and, and doing everything to the absolute letter, that actually made me feel pretty good. Yeah. Because I, because I was saying to myself, well, I can't do any more than do everything I can if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, the, the old saying, all you can do is all you can do, and all <laughs> you can do is enough. I really sub, uh, subscribe to that. Um, so to be a bit more specific, to give you an example, if I was doing a stretching session, um, stretching the body, I would actually go through, and you might say this could be a bit anal, anal retention or whatever, but I, I would start from, from my... Um, from my calves and work all the way up to my body and I would put on a timer how long I would stretch each part of my body. And I yeah. thought, well, if I can be consistent with that and, and you know, I want to minimise the chance of developing soft tissue injuries, uh, yeah. so I'd do my fitness work and then I'd make sure I'd stretch properly. So I'd give myself extra time yeah. to do those and I'd stretch every single body part of my body and sometimes I'd do it twice um, just to make sure that I'm, I'm fully recovering and um, and I would finish a session and, I'd, and I'd, I'd walk away from it going, ask myself a question, have I done everything I possibly can today? And if I could give that a tick, mentally that made me feel really good. Yeah. So there's um, that attention to detail there, isn't there? Really, uh, you know, both yeah. physically and how that tied into the mental side yep. of things. And, and uh, to be honest, it's not my default position either right. as a person, as a personality to be that, much attention to detail um and i know moving forward when i went into first went into coaching <laughs> i applied those sort of that attention to detail i was very structured with my planning and everything when it comes to training and things like that and i suppose as my coaching's evolved i've 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 stepped back a little bit from that and um i, I do like a structured session don't get me wrong but i also and we're going a bit off tangent here but I, no, no, I do like let's to, follow that. Yeah, it's good. I, I do like to just see what happens as well and, and let players sort of work things out for themselves rather than them being, you know, shown here's a schedule, this is what you're doing. I kind of sometimes like it where maybe the players don't know what's going on. 
and they just have to think for themselves a little bit, if that makes sense. So I'm kind of learning to go between the out-and-out structured sessions and the unstructured free play, just let's see where the day takes us kind of philosophy. So it's, uh, which is probably a little bit more in tune with my overall personality. Right. But, but I do like, um, I do like a bit of structure when it comes to preparation and, and, and the like for games of cricket. So I'm hearing this kind of a, a, a kind of a tension between actually the also delivering and helping players have attention to their detail as a coach, but also mm. allowing that freedom. How do you navigate that tension when you're trying to help players become the best that they can be? You know, do you encourage that attention to detail? How do you work with them and so on? Yeah, I mean, a word we've actually been using, uh, funny enough, uh, this season at Sussex has, has been precise and precision. Um, you know, if you're going to go in and, and you, you've got 20 minutes in the nets batting crew, let's just use bat, batsmen as example. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, you know, we, we will always ask them, okay, what, what are we going to see if we're going to, you're saying you want to be really precise with everything that you do uh, in your little 20 minute window here. You know, you've got a plan, you want to work on X, Y, and Z. What are we going to see to be satisfied that you are being precise? Um, So, and and there's, that's just where the conversation flows, doesn't it? And, and then we give them feedback on, on that session and, and whether they've achieved what, they set out to achieve through our eyes, um, but also, you know, in their mind, you know, when they've done it. So, so we, we've used that word precise, funny enough, mm-hmm. uh, funny I mentioned it, but, um, but yeah, we, we've, we've used that a little bit. Um, but when it comes to working with players, I mean, you've got the team needs, uh, but you also have to marry up um, individual prep um, and, and guys like to, have those their time to prepare individually um so so how we've been working which is which has been really good um and i think with the bob willis trophy it's it's worked out all right you've had two or three days lead into each game so we've been able to actually have a structured slash unstructured preparation if that makes sense so <laughs> yeah. um, so two days out from a game we've been very precise in that okay this is the structure of the session and we're going to do X, Y, Z, um, and this is this is the plan. And then we get to the day before, um, and it's much more unstructured. It's much we we refer to it as the a needs training session. If you feel you need something, um, it's led by you guys, and you let us know um, what you need, and we'll facilitate it. and And that seems to have been working really well. Um, in the structured day, there, there always is scope for individual work on it as well. Um, Lads want to want to you know do something individually and that they want to tick tick off uh, in their preparation. But we've found that that's worked really nicely, and and lads have, have enjoyed that um, that type of preparation because they they have the um, the competition element a couple of days out and where it's a bit more structured from a, the coaches setting the agenda, coaches session to then having a pure player led training session uh yeah. all players even we found how it's evolved in that um you know maybe two or three or four players are getting together and, and creating their own session within the session and then they ask us what what you know if if we can help them with those with those little sessions so it's worked quite nicely um 
So, Jason, um, I'm hearing there, though, you know, you, you, the, the unstructured versus structured is something that you've really been playing with as a, as a coach. You, you had a, a really successful playing career, many highs, a few lows, as you, as you kind of alluded to. What, what else have you learned and taken from your playing days into your coaching days, would you say? Um, well, the, the game is ever-evolving, isn't it? Um, you know, all sports evolve. Uh, but, uh, I suppose some things d don't necessarily change. Um, yeah. That's one thing I've learnt. Um, you know, hard work, smart work, doesn't ever go away. Um, <laughs> so it's it, a constant, it, that one, isn't it? It always works, it, that it, one. It's an absolute constant, yeah. And um, you know, hard, smart work. Um, the, the basic disciplines of our sport don't necessarily change um, too much. Um, but it's, it's, it's almost the path in which to get there, you know, has varied a little bit. Um, but ultimately, um, you know, I think in cricket, I, I think in the past, there's been a lot more um, batsmen facing bowlers in, in training sessions. Um, as opposed to, I'll use this as an example, a lot of bowlers, modern day bowlers, and modern day batsmen prefer to not face each other, yeah. which I find really interesting. Um, <laughs> you know, bowls will prefer to just bowl um, feel goods. So we call it, as coaches, we call it feel goods. They, they, there's not much consequence on it. Because if you're bowling to a batter and you bowl a bad ball, you get hit. There's a consequence, isn't there? Um, yeah. Whereas some bowlers don't want that. They just want to feel good. They, 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 a lot of players talk about feel. Um, and it's easy to bowl when there's just a stump there and um, and the ball's just flying through to someone with a mitt and there's no consequence. So if you bowl a bad ball, you don't really know because you know. <laughs> uh, you're not getting any feedback whatsoever. So th this is a these are good conversations that we have with um, you know with players because we want them to be own their preparation for sure. Right. Um, but we we kind of challenge them as well in saying that well if, if you want to be better, you, you need to put yourself in challenging situations at training. Um, hence, I think where it's evolved, the structure of the unstructured sessions. So, so to use that example, we, we'll encourage the bowlers on the structured days to have those consequence training sessions. And, and same with the batters. They'll face bowlers, you know, and, and it might be a tough situation in the net. Um, we might create a scenario which makes it a real challenge for either the batter or the bowler. Um, but then it comes to the day before the game and the, the player-led sessions and and batters and bowlers like to, they want to go into a game feeling really good and real, really confident and positive. So how we can allow that to happen for them, um, you know, comes down to them basically telling us what they want and, yeah. uh, and we facilitate that. Brilliant. Well, you've given me a real great insight into, you know, you and the coaching environment. And I'm also really conscious, and I know this is your approach and philosophy of sharing out and actually not taking mm. the, the limelight on your shoulders. And actually, it's a team of mm. coaches or a, a support team mm. that, su that supports the players. Um, yeah. If I, if I drill back to you, though, a little bit in terms of your journey, how, how have you changed? Like, again, you, you came out of a, of a playing career, you know, straight into kind of the Lions dinner coaching. How have you evolved, would you say, over your coaching career? Because you've, you've played some pretty fantastic roles and held some great mm. positions. You know, how, how have you evolved as a coach and a person, would you say? Well, I think, I think for me, Dave, um, it's continually sort of listening and, um, yeah. and having good conversations and, and learning from the people that you're working with. So I've been really fortunate. I've had some 
really good people around me. I've, I've got my core way I, I believe the game should be played and want it to be played. Um, but what I have learnt is that I, I have to have a bit of an open mind because I, I, know, I know at times I can be quite a stubborn mill. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and I, I think early in my career, I was a lot more tell and um, in my coaching career. Um, this is the way it's happening. I, I think I take a step back a little bit more now. I think that's how mm. I've evolved. And I probably, I probably do spend more time just observing and listening um, and then chipping in. Um, because I, I see an important part of my role as a head coach, because I've essentially only been a head coach. I've kind of had a slightly different journey to a, a number of coaches where they've, they've actually started out as assistant coaches and, and gone all over the place and then got a head coaching opportunity. Yeah. I've, I kind of started as a head coach and I've done bits and bobs of the assistant coaching, but I've always been the one making decisions and, yeah. and fronting the media or fronting the board and, you know, things like that. <laughs> um, and I don't have a problem with that. I'm used to that. It, do you like, Jace, do you like that though? Do, do you enjoy that part um, of the role? Look, I, I, I enjoy the responsibility of it and, yeah. and I understand that, with that responsibility, I know there'll be criticism. I know, uh, especially if, if there's lack of performance, um, you know, I understand there's going to be those criticisms. But one thing I've always done, um, and I'll always continue to do, um, I'll always front up. Uh, win, lose or draw, I, I believe it's really important for a head coach to, to front up, whether it be the board, the, your bosses, um, the media. Um, you know what I tend to do if we win, I let the captain uh, take the forefront and and speak to the media. Um, if we lose, I'm always happy to take it on, um, and that doesn't bother me. I, 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 that's how I like to operate. Um, you know, but I I do see a really important role. Uh, part of my role is not yeah. just working with the players and the captains, but also helping develop coaches. I think it's 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 a crucial part. Um, I. I I want every coach that works with me to feel that I have their back yeah. and they're completely supported. They're listened to. Their advice is taken on board. Um, for me, that's really important. Um, Jace, why, why, why is it important, do you think? You know, I, I can probably make up why I think it's important, but when did you realise that that approach was really important for you and the philosophy that you're trying to create? Because... One reason I want to empower coaches so they can they can think for themselves. They're thinking thinking on their feet, but I want them to have support as well. Yeah. So if everyone knows that I am fully supportive of, say, use example the batting coach and the bowling coach and the fielding coach. If everyone knows that I am trusting and backing them, yeah. Um, then those people will buy in. They go, well, if the head coach rates these guys, then, well, they're, they're good. Yeah. If, and that empowers them to know that... Look, if you know that you're being supported by your boss, or, you know, it feels pretty good, doesn't it? <laughs> kind of so, makes sense, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think it does. Yeah, that's not to say I haven't had situations where, you know, I've disagreed, you know, had a, had a disagreement with a, a you know, coach that I've worked with and... Um, but I'll never let anything fester. You know, we'll sit down and have a chat. And a lot of the time, it might just be a, a slight disagreement on what the plan is for the next session or something. Or, um, 
a, a direction we're going to go. But it, they always, I've never had an issue where nothing's never been sorted out. Um, yeah. And they're all very, uh, not big things, if that makes sense. But what makes them not big things? What's the groundwork you've put in, do you think, to make these decisions and these issues not to be big things? Well, I think because we have that uh, respect for each other, we've got that openness. Yeah. You know, and I, I encourage our, all our coaches and the coaches I've worked with here at Sussex to so say, look, I've got some thoughts here uh, about what the next, say, let's just use the next two weeks looks like. You give it, I, I'm interested in your feedback and what you think. Um, please just, if you've got any thoughts, there might be something I've missed here. Please let me know and, and we can have a chat about it. And, and it, it might be something like that. It might be, you know, I, I, ultimately when it comes to selecting sides at Sussex, it's myself and the captain that, that is responsible for that. But I always like to include our coaching staff in on those discussions. Ultimately, I'll, uh, myself and the captain will make the call. Yeah. But I always want them to feel included in... I, one thing I never want is a member of our coaching staff knowing what our 11 or team is going out on the park looks like without them knowing beforehand. Mm. Yeah, uh, yeah. That might only be a few minutes beforehand, but it's just a little thing. I don't want them to yeah, see a yeah. squad in the newspaper or um, something's come out publicly that they have had no knowledge about because they're yeah. part of the team. They're part of the coaching staff. And, you know, I, I, I hate to think that a member of the public or someone from outside the club would know about a situation before one of my colleagues that I work daily with. Where have you learnt that um, approach or where did that approach become important to you and you see the real value and benefit of it? Because, you know, I think we're touching on the kind of building cultures around teams here. Mm. And I know, you know, when, when I worked with you and you, you were up at Yorkshire, now at Sussex, and I'm sure the, the jobs that you're going on into the future, these small things and building cultures are really important. And I'm wondering mm. where you pick that up and, you know, what are the other key elements you will take into these roles going forward? Yeah, well, Dave, I think for me... I mean, where did I pick it up? I mean, I, I just for me, it just makes complete sense to do it that way. Um, you know, I, I don't, I, I can't put anything specific on it in that regard for you. Um, but for me, I, I suppose if I, if I put myself in, if I was a bowling coach, for instance, yeah. and the head coach had asked, um, you know, I knew he was picking a side, and then all of a sudden a side comes out, and I didn't know anything about it. I didn't have a clue. I'd be thinking, well, uh, what's my? Am I needed here? Am I wanted here? I, I don't know. I just, for me, it just makes sense yeah. if, um, that you would include. Ultimately, I've got to make, you know, as a head coach and captain, we've got to make ultimate decisions. But it makes sense to me to get as much information as possible from the people that work daily with the players that you're looking at. Yeah. Um, because there might be something that's head coach I've missed. So for instance, I know that I know that a batter, if, if he knows that if, if one of our batsmen knows that I'm I'm gonna sit with the captain, we're gonna pick a side in two days time to for the next trip away, he's not gonna come up to me at training and say, Oh coach, I'm really struggling to see the ball just outside off stump. I feel like I'm gonna get out every time. He's not gonna come to the head coach with that information, is he? But he might have a private chat with the batting coach and say, look, I'm struggling. Can you help me work on this? Yeah. Um, and then that's the trust between the head coach and the batting coach. Um, 
you know, and I've always said to assistant coaches that I've worked with, said, I want you to develop that strong bond and trust between yourself and an individual player. Yeah. Uh, I only want you to share information with me that you deem relevant. So, for instance, if I, if I see a player is, is struggling in, you know, um, in terms of not quite at the races on a day, and yeah. um, it's always nice to know from a support staff, oh, just so you know, um, Johnny Smith's uh, mum is a bit unwell at the moment. Yeah. And um, if he's looking a bit down or he's not quite, uh, doesn't look as interested today, yeah. that might be a reason why. Um, that, that's, that would be an example of something I would need to know. Yeah. Um, but if a batting coach is working with a batter and, and a batter was just having a few little doubts, he's missed out a couple of times and yeah. is just probably feeling a little bit, little bit down and wants to work on something that he feels it's, it, it could be better at, I'd probably rather the batting coach just, unless he feels it's absolutely important that yeah. he shares it with me or he gets the go-ahead from that individual player to share oats, then I'd be happy for that to stay between them because I wouldn't want any trust eroded from those two, if that makes sense. Well, no, it makes perfect sense. And it sort of begins to play back to me the, you know, your approach and your principle and philosophy of leaving no stone unturned. But actually, how do you, how do you build the team around you, but also have the access to having all the information so you can make the best decisions? So, you know, as a player, you, you left no stone unturned, but as a coach in a, mm-hmm. but in a, a team dynamic, actually, in terms of how you have your support team around you, having the right information for you to be able yeah, to make absolutely. the best decisions. And, and, and again, that comes down, I think, to the openness and the trust yeah. between the coaching staff. That, yeah. That's really important. Um, yeah. As I said, there'd be, there'd be some things that um, maybe a, a member of the coaching staff and an individual player, it might just be yeah. a coffee conversation that stays between them. Yeah. And, and I've got enough trust and faith in the coaches I work with that they would keep that they would have that that relationship with the individual player they would have a relationship with me if it was something that was really that they felt I needed to know then a lot of the time they might clear it they might actually clear it with the player say okay you've shared something private with me um is this something that you'd want the head coach to be aware of or not um and I think there have been the times over the years where players said, look, I'm happy for you to share that with the head coach. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I've actually followed up on something. Um, or might be something, look, I don't think it's anything really serious. I think young Johnny, uh, Johnny Smith is just, uh, just having an off day, feeling a bit down. I've, I've dealt with that. I've spoken to him. He's feeling good. He, um, he just needed a bit of, bit of arm around his shoulder. He'll be okay. Um, there was nothing we needed to... To follow up on. So, you know, I think it, ultimately it comes down to the trust between myself and the coaches we work with and, um, you Jason, know, and, and the players we work with, yeah. Jason, you've also led me to really start thinking about the balance between the, and the importance of trust in the environment mm. that you work in as opposed to, you know, the importance of the technical and tactical aspects. And, you know, yep. I guess traditionally we used to think that sport and coaching was a very technical, tactical aspect and that, that's mm. what helps us perform. But I, I've not heard you talk about that in as much depth. You know, what's, what's your mm. view on the, the balance between the sort of the relationship and the environment and the, the dynamics of the team as opposed to the technical and tactical aspects? Players ultimately need to perform their skills. Um, you know, there's no shying away from that. I, I think that, that's a given. Yeah. Um, but I, I suppose we'll, we'll use an example. If you've got 
two players that are roughly even. Um, but then you look at what else they bring to the group. Um, yeah. So if these two players are, are roughly the same, but player X brings a lot to the group from a team dynamic, a team point of view, uh, is very has a really good mindset to learn and develop, uh, open to new ideas. Um, and then you have player B who um, is maybe a bit more set in their ways, is, is more focused on themselves, um, is not really open to feedback, um, you know, and is more an individual as opposed to a, a team player. Yeah. Um, for me, that becomes quite a simple decision in the end. Um, you know, so look, for, for me, that's pretty simple. I think culture is really important. I think um, positive words, positive actions around a, around a team, around a dressing room are, are vital. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think in, in you know senior players, uh, junior players that that display these positive traits. Um, do do people just bring those, or do you can you grow that in people and develop that kind of positive culture and atmosphere? Um, I, I, I think I think there's an element of default of an individual, mm. um, but I, I don't suppose there's any reason why you can't um, encourage that and train that yeah. um, and maybe ask players to look through slightly different eyes, uh, see something different um, yeah. and see that there might be another way. Um, and that yeah. just comes down to looking to educate players, having open and honest discussions. Um, yeah. You know, you touched on me not speaking a lot about technical uh, technique stuff. I mean, look, techniques, uh, you know, have a role to play are important. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But for me, from technique in cricket, um, you know, what is the best technique? You know, for me, it's probably the one that, that works for the player. Um, Mm-hmm. And the skill of the coaches just to get that better, um, you know. Certainly, encourage if there's if there's specific technical issues that need addressing, then then you have those conversations. Um, and the player's got to be willing and open to to listen uh, as well. Um, but for me, from a pure technical point of view, I, I don't. As a coach, I actually don't see that as one of my strongest suits. If I'm perfectly honest, um, I. Look, I, I can spot things. I, I look at that. I mean, but as a head coach, I'm kind of overseeing and um, and being there and almost lending support to the specific technical skills coaches. Mm-hmm. Um, How would you summarise what your your real strengths are and what you bring to the table? Because, you know, I'm conscious, again, you've worked in different environments, i.e. both at York, as a coach at Yorkshire, Sussex, and now, you know, going to go back home to Australia. And I'm just conscious about, you know, what is it you bring? And what do you, how do you translate that? Because again, lots of listeners will go, you know, I need mm. to move club or I'm going to change my role or I'm moving from one business to another. And I'm really conscious about what have you flexed or what have you brought with you that's your real strength? Yeah, I mean, look, I, look, I, I do know about the game. I'm not completely naive to yeah, cricket. Okay. No, um, I know that, yeah. yeah. So I, you know, I do bring a, a little bit of a, a, that cricket uh, expertise. Um, I work really hard at that communication. Um, yeah you know, and that transparency, um, for me, that is an important part of the role. Um, you know, I, I really work hard to empower players to, um, to go out and play the game. Um, you know, I like to challenge them if I, if I think that, you know, if I'm watching players train and they're not, and I think they're maybe coasting, cruising or, or not, being precise enough at training, I'm, <laughs> I'm more than happy to wander down and have a conversation with them and just say, look, this is what I'm seeing. 
Um, you know, please tell me if I'm wrong um, and shout me down. But, you know, I think there's a bit more there. Um, you know, are, are we, you know, I think, can we use our time a bit better? And it's just asking those type of questions. Um, I, I like, I like a, a, a positive dressing room environment. So that doesn't mean everyone's smiling and shiny and happy and singing uh, Kumbaya um, <laughs> you know, every day. I, look, I, I don't mean by that, but uh, things I, I don't particularly uh, like in, in and around cricket teams uh, is negativity, is moaning and whinging, um, that, that glass half empty mentality. And that it, it, yeah, it doesn't sit well with me and I don't put up with it for very long, if I'm honest. Um, how, do you, how do you manage that? Yeah, I, look, I confront players. Um, you know, if, if in my opinion that I believe that they're not adding value to the dressing room through their words or actions, uh, I'll be happy to have a conversation. As I think it is important. Um, you know, it comes down to those differentiators as well. <laughs> it, it makes a big difference, I, I think. It, it really does. Um, so, so I like to make sure that we keep you on top of that. I, I feel important part of my role is um, is supporting the captain uh, or the captains, um, you know, in, in, in what they're trying to instill in the team. Because ultimately, they've got to go out on the park, um, you know, playing the style of cricket that they want to play. And they need buy-in from all the players. And, you know, I see my job as making sure that the players are all bought into that. Um, and the captains knowing that they have got 100% backing and support from me. Yeah. I think that's really powerful. Um, and as well as, as our coaching staff, making sure they're feeling empowered um, to crack on and do their jobs. And also to take a bit of the onus off... Um, because in our sporting cricket, cricket's quite unique in that the captain is has a much bigger role in, in the sport of cricket than probably most sports yeah. um, on and off the field. So what I, I really work hard to do as coach is to take away a lot of the little things that um, I don't think the captain, is, particularly on game day or training days, they need to be focused too much on. Um, I can deal with those things so that they can prepare because you know as I say to all our cap captains that I've worked with over time is that you got to prepare yourself first and foremost you're a batsman or a bowler you get that sorted and you're leader and once you walk on that park with your team you're in charge and I'll support you 100% um, I see a really important part of my role is off the field is backing the captain up in, in any way possible taking a lot of that load off him so that he can just concentrate on, um, you know, at times you need to allow the captain to be able to just concentrate on his game and, and get himself ready. He, yeah. He's always going to have things he's got to take care of. But if I can minimise that um, to allow him to crack on and, and, and prepare as best he can for his job because he's got a hard enough job as it is, then I see that, that that's really important. So is it like taking the weight off their shoulders to free them up to perform at their yeah. best? Uh, absolutely. And how do you make sure that you don't carry the world's weight on your shoulders then? How do you look after yourself in those instances? Yeah, that's a good question. Probably something <laughs> I'm still working on, if I'm honest. Um, <laughs> uh, I won't lie. Um, yeah, I, I have some nights where I lie awake at night. And, uh, you know, you always reflect on any decisions you make, um, whether it be um, selections uh, or, or whatnot. Um, you know, or, you know, reflecting on a training session or a game or the review of a game. 
you know, I think that they're, you know, I, I think increasingly as I've gone on my coaching journey, you know, putting a lot of time and effort into making sure that our reviewing of performance, um, you know, is as, um, is as good as it can be. Um, you know, and I think it, it's like anything, you have fantastic reviews and you have maybe not so great reviews of your performance. Um, but I think, you know, I, I know certainly here at Sussex, been working really hard to, to do that um, and, and encourage lads to, to speak up as well. Um, you know, I've, I've always... I've all, and the more I'm in this coaching journey, the, the less I want to talk in team meetings, if that makes sense. So yeah. I, I want to make sure that, um, that the players who've got voices, uh, coaching staff have got voices, because um, there's ultimately the players are the ones out there playing. So it, it's for them to talk and, and for us to support them and almost facilitate those, those yeah. conversations. Um, you know, and, and ask some really good questions of, uh, about the game and um, what, what have they learnt, you know, um, you know, some really good questions to ask, uh, you know, were there any opportunities we missed that we could um, going into the next game? Um, you know, I think that, you know, that's something I learnt and, you know, we, you know, you helped me a lot with my level four coaching and that, that was some of the things that I, I took away from that really positively was, um, you know, can you, as a coach, I think, if you can ask, Really good questions. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the whole thing just flows, doesn't it? You know, if, if, you, if you're just telling all the time, I, you know, one thing I've learned is that half the time, half the lads aren't even listening. So, um, but if you ask them a question, they have to actually think about it, think don't they? they? <laughs> Funny enough. Um, well, they need to be doing the hard work, don't they? <laughs> well, yeah, they need to do the heavy lifting there. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> but, but look, it's, it, look, it, it's, it, the, I, I'm fascinated by reviews, actually. I, 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 you know, and you know, team meetings and things like that because sometimes they cop a bad rap. Um, but I think they cop a bad rap if they're done the wrong way. Yeah. Um, and rightly so. Um, so I think you know, good questions, uh, open discussions, those um, sticking to facts. I think is really important as opposed okay. to opinion. Um, you know, these are all the things you learn. You learn by doing, don't you? Um, you, you can't just read a book and go right. I, I know how to run an effective meeting. Um, it doesn't work quite like that. And so I'm, I'm learning. I'm evolving all the time. Um, I, I think some of the best meetings that I've been involved in, certainly here at Sussex, um, have been where you know most people in the room have have contributed in some way. You know, some guys like to talk more than others. Um, some you have to really coax it out of them. Um, what I have learnt, you know, it depends on personalities. So sometimes I'll know if someone is, is not really confident speaking, I'll kind of word them up about the question I'm going to ask and, and the answer that something along the line, this is this type of answer we're looking for. And that so much is to give them confidence as an individual more than the actual content, if that makes sense. Oh, um, perfect sense. It might be just something really simple that everyone is aware of. Um, but if it, if I look ahead, I think if that player has a confidence to talk, especially if it's a young player, has a confidence to talk in front of some of these guys in this room that have played for England before, and he's 20 years of age in his first year as a pro, he's a bit into intimidated that he's sitting there with a couple of test players or a couple of blokes that have played for their country. Um, 
and he can contribute something that everyone nods in agreement or is positive about, then that'll make him feel more confident. And then next time I can go to him and ask him his opinion in a, in a meeting as well. So, so sometimes you, you, you are in a team meeting, you want to get the most out of it from a team point of view. But if you, if it's going to by just, you know, giving someone 30 seconds to, to get a point across, knowing that everyone's, everyone's pretty much up and knows that that points can be made, but, it helps that individual build their confidence in, the, in that environment, then it's, then it, it's, it's worth doing, if yeah. that makes sense. And Jason, you mentioned there about, you know, looking ahead, you know, you, you've, you've shared some fantastic insights to your time in, as a coach in, in the UK, you know, looking ahead, you're obviously going back home now um, to Australia. What, what do you see as the, um, the, what does looking ahead look like for you there? What, what's, what's your hopes and what's your challenges and, and the opportunities that lie ahead for you? Yeah, I mean, well, I'll continue my role at um, the Adelaide Strikers, so, which yeah. is a role I've had for five years now. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to continuing that opportunity because I absolutely love it. It's yeah. fantastic. Um, but now the opportunity to be in my home state full-time, um, state of South Australia, who I played for many years ago. So I'm, I'm kind of part-time in the system with the Strikers, uh, with the South Australian Community Association, but now I'll be there full-time as coach of the South Australian team as well um, in four-day and one-day cricket. Um, you know, I, I can't help but feel... I, I just... I want to be there to help. I want to help the team get better. And... Um, you know, they probably haven't performed quite the standard they would have liked over the last few years. I, I genuinely believe I can help South Australia get better. Um, and not so much because I'm a technical technical guru uh, or anything like that, but I, I, I genuinely believe, um, I suppose without sounding arrogant or anything, I, I, I feel I can add value to, to that dressing room environment and, and give a little bit of clarity over, um, over how, how we're going to play the cricket um, I think I'm really looking forward to developing and improving my communication skills. That's something I, I'm, I'm going to really work hard at making sure I'm, I'm really good at there um, with South Australia. Um, that's my goal. Um, I see that as, as an important role. Um, and again, I mean, I mean, with this COVID pandemic, um, you know, the, a couple of the coaches who have been assistants for a couple of years at South Australia have actually had to take the mantle without a head coach being there. And I'm not going to be there until the middle of next month. Um, so they've had to really step up. And, and I've, I've been getting feedback from players from who, who I know a lot of the players because I've, I've coached the strikers for a period of time. Yeah. So I know a lot of the lads. Um, but I've got feedback from people at the SACA, South Australia Cricket Association, that a couple of the assistant coaches have really stepped up um, in the Brilliant. absence of a head coach. And uh, I only had a, before I got on the phone to you here today, Dave, I, I only just had a conversation with the captain and, and our assistant bowling coach. And, um, and I, I just gave him feedback how, you know, how much positivity, positive feedback I've been given from everyone at the SACA <laughs> and how good a job you've done. And I could just see Luke sort of, body language through the through the <laughs> skype uh you know how happy he was to because you know look everyone loves a bit of positive feedback don't they and uh and needs you know, it and needs it i think if they, they didn't like it um yeah. but it was good for me as a newly appointed head coach to be able to give him that feedback straight away and i haven't even been around 
Um, but for me to be able to give him that feedback, this is what I've heard um, from a number of sources, just keep up the good work. Um, you know, he knows that I've got his back and yeah. I'm, um, you know, and, and that's all, you know, that's all anyone can ask. Um, you know, one thing about coaching, Dave, that um, has really resonated with me over the years is, you know, I'm strong in my thoughts on this, that, yeah. you know, the coach's big biggest role is to instill that belief in a player. So if you know that, you know, as a player that, the coach is backing you and believing in you um, and you are very clear on what your role is, surely that gives you so much opportunity to actually be able to perform your role, um, knowing that you've got the backing of the coach. Um, so I think, you know, belief is such a, a big, strong word, you know. If, you know, I, I think my job is a long way done um, if players know that I genuinely back and believe in them. Um, yeah. You know, I'll try to keep it as simple as that. Who was who was the coach that believed in you? Do you think that you can remember that that you kind of felt and experienced that belief from? Yeah, I had a couple of coaches, I had some captains as well. Okay. Um, so it wasn't just coaches. Um, yeah. So I had a coach, Jeff Hammond, at South Australia, very early in my days. I was a young kid coming through. Yeah. He was fantastic. Uh, he was a uh, he was a fast bowler himself back in the day, so I think he had a soft spot for us young quicks, <laughs> yeah. uh, which was great. But but he became a really close friend, and to this day, you know, a great great friend and uh, um, someone I can still lean on for advice uh, from time to time. But he he just believed in me. He um, it was very simple. And then I had you know a couple of captains when I was playing for Australia: um, Mark Taylor, Steve War in my early early days of playing for Australia. Um, they just they just trusted me, and I'll, I'll tell you a really quick story uh, to yeah. back up that. Um, I was playing a test match against England in Perth, and the night before I'd been bowling, and I was bowling quite quick. I thought I was bowling quick, but I was getting pasted everywhere. Um, so much so, I'd gone for about seventy runs in nine overs, and and I'm and I'm very early in the early stages of my career, and I, I'm literally at the end of the day's play. I'm sitting in the dressing rooms thinking. My career's over here. I'm not going to bowl again in this match. And I'm going to, uh, you know, that's going to be it. I'm going to go back to my state and I'm never going to play for again, play for Australia again. And so that night I was stewing, I was spewing out, you know, I was thinking, how could I bowl better, all this stuff. And then the next morning we're warming up and um, the captain just walks past me and pats me on the back and said, oh, Diz, I want you to take first over today. Um, captain, the captain being who at the time? Mark Taylor, Taylor he, he, he just said, mate, just, um, mate, you take first over today. Um, you know, I know yesterday didn't quite work for you, but mate, you get your length right and you'll be sweet as a nut. You'll, you'll bowl really well here, mate. Um, um, I trust you to do your job. You, you'll be fine. And just walked off. And then, so that made me feel a little bit better. And then we're out in the middle and I'm just giving my hat to the umpire and, um, and I'm just grabbing the ball and, and Mark just comes up and he pats me on the back again and said, Diz, I'm really looking forward to watching your ball today. And, uh, mate, just run in, do your thing. Um, and, again, remember, we just get that length right, mate, and, and you'll be absolutely fine. And then just walked off chewing his gum and stood at first slip. And I felt 10 foot tall. I felt 10 foot tall. And the story goes, I ended up taking five wickets in the space <laughs> of about seven overs. And um, ended up with Pfeiffer. Uh, walked off the ground feeling 10 foot tall. Um, 
so it was just a it was just a real you know mark didn't say anything that earth shattering or set the world on fire but he believed in me and he yeah. backed me um he could have very easily not bowled me the next morning um yeah. and gone with someone else proper man management stuff going on there though isn't it a hundred percent you know and, and look so and, and i've always looked at that um you know, I was fortunate. All my captains in when I played cricket for Australia were all like that. They were all wonderfully supportive, like that, um, and 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 coaches too as well. Like John Buchanan for for Australia, I thought he he was fantastic, like that as well. So, look, I I felt very fortunate. Um, you know, have I taken some of that into into my coaching career? Quite possibly. Um, you know, I, I certainly believe that. Um, you know, I'd, I'd much. You know, I, I know what it's like to be a player. You know, things haven't quite worked and you haven't quite got it right. Um, you know, so to, to have that backing and belief from a, from a coach, I think, is really important. Yeah. Well, Jason, you mentioned earlier on that you could smell and feel and taste that kind of position that you wanted to play in the Australian team and you could visualise it. What's your visualisation and taste for the future now then? What can you see is coming down the line that you're going to go and make happen for for you, both personally and professionally, would you say? Yeah, that's... Look, it's a great question. Um, and not the easiest one to answer, only because <laughs> I've just accepted a new job. So um, so that, that probably the next three years, at least, um, you know, my, my, my plan is to uh, obviously see this job through to the best of my ability. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, you know, I, I want to see South Australia perform strongly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to see South Australian players... Um, be looked at for higher honours. I think that um, that's a, a part of the role. But I want to, you know, I want a team that is that that is ruthless and, and goes out there and, and plays the game hard, plays the game, um, you know, very fair. Um, I, I want teams to walk away going, you know, what we're in a real contest against South Australia. If we win or lose, I mean, look, I can cop that. Um, don't like losing. Um, However, but if, if our players are going out there, are preparing well, um, give themselves the best chance to go out and then go out there and implement the game plan to the best of their ability um, and they can hold their head high and walk off that ground, win, lose or draw, that's what I'd love to see with South Australian cricket. Um, and, yeah, for me personally, I mean, I, I just want to, you know, continue to, um, you know, just continue on my journey as a coach and, and improve my skills. Um, you know, in all parts of the of, of the role, and and if I can do that, then you know, I, I feel I can be contributing positively to the team, the environment, and uh, and hopefully we can have some success. Brilliant stuff. And then you kind of touched on the family and stuff. I guess you're reconnecting back there again. And you mentioned earlier on a little bit about how you prepare, but I guess that's going to be a bit of a change, isn't it? Dropping back in there. Are you looking forward to that? Is that, is that something you're excited about? Because it's been a long time. Oh, I am. I am. I don't know if my wife's overly excited about having another child in the house, but um, but but look, no, look, it's going to be great. It, it's been these last couple of years. It's been a bit different. Obviously, I spent half my year in, in England and yeah. uh, half my year in Australia. Um, so you know, it has been a challenge for my wife. Obviously, with our four young children. Yeah. Um, but she's been wonderful. Um, yeah. You know, she's quite used to it as well, and the kids yeah. are uh, they get into quite the routine. So. It's more for me to fit into their routine and yeah. vice versa, uh, which can be hard because you know, when I'm home, I get a bit excited that you know, I get to see the family and the kids <laughs> are the same. And it's like dad's home and, you know, so 
things are always a little bit different, but I, I want to make sure that, um, you know, our, our family life and that, that is, is business as usual. And um, as the kids, a couple of the older two are getting a bit older and, uh, you know, school's becoming a bit more prominent in their lives and, yeah. and that and activities and the like. So, I, you know, I want to be that, uh, that great dad and husband and um, that, you know, full time around. You know, I know a lot of people spend time away from home, but you know, this will be probably the first time, you know, almost in my, um, you know, in a long time where I've been full time in one place. So I, I am a little bit excited about that. I must admit, um, it'll be a bit different. Um, <laughs> but but look, I, I'm I'm really relishing that opportunity and uh, and really excited. And and it's the right time. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, there's no doubt about that from a um, you know, from a family point of view, uh, it's certainly the right time um, for me to be home full time. You know, but it was a it was a difficult it, it wasn't as straightforward a decision as people may realise for me to leave Sussex because um, the club have been unbelievable. Um, they've been so great. You know, we've got a lot of young, exciting cricketers coming through our coaching staff. Um, you know, I, I love working with all our off field staff. It's it's been. Uh, it's been absolutely wonderful. Uh, we've forged some really strong relationships, and um, to leave that is not not necessarily the easiest thing to do. Um, you know, um, but I know it is the right decision. Um, but still, doesn't make it uh, any make easy. it any. Yeah. Well, Jace, you, you've definitely left a legacy, haven't you, behind? You know, you, you've left the clubs that you've worked at in a, in a different stroke, better place than you found them. And I think you've made an imprint across the whole whole game as a coach in the UK. Um, so, you know, I, I think you should sort of pat yourself on the back for that, you know, and I think that's a, a great time and place to, to leave it. Um, so well, thank you. It's, it's been a pleasure for me to sort of work alongside you and see you on your journey. And I only wish you really good luck. And, and I know, you know, drawing it back to the start where we, we, we talked about you and your family and the impact that your father had on mm. you and your mum continues mm. to do. You know, this is a chance, as you say, probably to go back and be around, but also continue in your journey in the cricket world as well as your family. The one thing that always resonates with me is one of your key principles as a coach was always around the importance of your family. Um, mm. You know, and yeah. I, and absolutely played, played through really hard. And, and I also know that also plays out a lot with the, the team, your players' families, and also seeing them as a family, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I, I think that's really important. And, and kind of found that probably a little bit challenging, to be honest, around with, with everything that's going on in the world at the moment, yeah. with COVID and the like. Um, you know, we haven't seen the families at all here at Sussex yeah. this year, which has been a, a, a obviously a disappointment. Um, but a necessary uh, thing that's happening in our world in the current climate, obviously. But, um, but yeah, so that's been a little bit more challenging. Um, but, yeah, but no, really, really looking forward to getting home and, you know, spending some time with family and getting stuck into a new opportunity, really. So, yeah, can't wait. Jace, what I, what I tend to do just to wrap up the, uh, the conversations that I usually have on the Sports Stories podcast is just to ask you two or three quick-fire questions um, mm. and see where you go with them because I, I like to give away sort of some real tangible tips or recommendations yep. or guidance for, for the listeners. So yep. if I was to ask you, I appreciate you've been on a, such a, a huge learning journey, both as a player but also particularly as a coach. What resources or books would you steer people to or are there any things that have really resonated with you that you said god that book or that resource really made me think and inspired me on the way any books yeah I've, I've, there's been um 
been a few over the years. Uh, one that uh, I still carry around with me, funny enough. Um, <laughs> it's always in my backpack. Um, it's by a, a, a friend of mine, friend of ours called Simon Hartley. Um, you know, he's got a book called Two Lengths of the Pool uh, that he wrote. And um, it was his time as a sports psychologist working with Chris Cook, the... Uh, the uh, breaststroker uh, for Great Britain. Yeah. Just let me stop you there, Jace, because Chris Cook was a, a guest on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> so was he really? Oh, yeah. fantastic. Oh, man, that's brilliant synergy, isn't it? Yeah, um, it is. <laughs> but, but look, uh, Simon's book is ever-present in my... Uh, I, I lent it to one of our coaches here, James Kirtley at uh, yeah. Sussex, um, and he absolutely loved it. And I just said, excuse all the uh, highlighted <laughs> places and the asterisks uh, throughout Simon's book, but... Look, I, I've just found it really useful. I think that, um, you know, we talk about giving players absolute clarity and simplified messages. And I think that book really, because um, it's, it's not a long read, because I, I, I struggle to read really big, long books, if I'm honest. Um, yeah. um, but it, it was just a real good, um, good size, you know, simple messages yes. around yeah. the clarity, around... Um, you know, how to go about your business. And um, for me, it, very simple. It, it was in language that I understand as well. Yeah, um, yeah important. And, and, you know, for me, that, that it really resonated with me and, you know, about, you know, what ultimately is your job uh, in whatever you do? Um, yeah. Can you break down your job into the simplest possible terms? And, and for me, that really resonated with me. And, and that, that story that Simon tells with uh, his working with Chris, I think is just yeah. a just a fantastic uh, Simple, yet very effective, effective story. Brilliant stuff. Good, good. In terms of preparation, physically and mentally, and we've touched on this a little bit, but in summary, how do you do that? I think have a plan. Um, have a plan to, to, if you want to prepare yourself physically, I think you go a long way to preparing yourself mentally. Yeah. And, and I think what that does as well, um, in our sport, um, you know, if, I, I always encourage our lads to take the opportunities when they're presented to be able to do all you can yeah. do everything you can so that if there are times when maybe you can't do what you want to do, yeah. you've got that bank of evidence, that bank yeah. of work behind you that you can draw on and go, you know what? Okay. Today is the day where I wanted to do X, Y, and Z, but you know what? I can't because yeah. of circumstances that are out of my control. So I say yeah. weather, um, the game's tomorrow. I really wanted to have another hit today. For Let's just use that as an example. I really wanted to have another bat and work on this today, just leading yeah. into tomorrow. But there's no facilities because the weather's bad. But by preparing as well as you can physically, which in order prepares you mentally, in the past, you've built up a bank of evidence, which in turn probably gives you the confidence to go, okay, well, I can't train today because of the, the facilities are wet. But... I feel in a good place going to tomorrow because of all the work I've done previously. Um, because I, I could imagine that, uh, you know, some players might, and some players might not, it might not bother them too much, but some players might go, if they haven't had that hit or haven't done that extra bit, um, they panic a little bit and think, oh, I'm not ready. Um, but I, I think just being that, I suppose, that consistency in your preparation, it, yeah. it allows for the flexibility of when things don't go according to plan, like weather or something happens, for instance. Yeah. You know, um, so for me, that for me, I, I like to keep it pretty simple and um, just you know, 
if you're going to do something, you know, if you're going to prepare and train, you may yeah. as well do it properly. If you make yeah. the effort to get out of bed, get drive your car to the ground and warm up, and do, it stands to reason you may as well do everything you possibly can to have the best possible training session you can. Yeah. And then that's just another another piece to put into your book of evidence, another you know another entry into the book of evidence um, to give you that confidence. And Jason, you know, I'm also conscious about, we've talked about the technical and tactical stuff, the bit of the psychological, but I'm also, you know, as I know you as well, sleep preparation, relaxation preparation, our nutrition and our diet and, mm. and all of the, the different ingredients are also important to you. Is that not fair to say? Yeah, it's very fair to say. Um, it, and it, it does come back to that one phrase, give yourself the best chance. chance. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, is is going down to the pub and yeah. having eight pints the day before a game, giving yourself the best chance. Is eating fast food from a um, drive-in takeaway food place giving yourself the best chance to be successful? Um, because if, if you if you're honest with yourself as an athlete, if you're doing if you're saying I'm going to do absolutely everything I possibly can to be as ready as I can, yeah. it's those decision making. Um, things that will will dictate that and um yeah. you know it's not to say you can't treat yourself and um you know at appropriate times but it's just just making the best decisions you can as often as you can brilliant we touched on um culture earlier on as well in summary then what three ingredients and i know there's probably more than that but what three mm -hmm. ingredients would you say are key to creating the cultures that you have the good high performing cultures that you desire and i know you've done it in different environments but what would you say are the top three ingredients or components of that? Yeah. Um, open to learning and being adaptable. Um, positivity. Yeah. Um, and no whinging. Perfect. A couple more questions then, and just as we wrap things up here then, I I'm very conscious that you are um, making a real big impact and leaving a real legacy for, for many people. You know, and I know that's important to you to really help people improve and they'll remember you for many years. Who's really impacted on you? You've mentioned one or two, but which two people, two or three people, could you say have been pivotal in your career? Oh, that's a really tough one. Um, I think... Uh, I, I think my, my late father had an impact on my career, uh, no doubt. I think his, um, his work ethic... Um, his overall positivity as well. Uh, yeah. You know, he, he was uh, uh, even when things were turning to crap. Um, <laughs> he always found a way to 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 stay upbeat and oh, and, okay. and find ways. Um, you know, I I, I think I, I can be at times where I can get quite down and uh, and look at the glass half empty at times, but I, I snap out of it as quick as I can. Um, Brilliant. But uh, but certainly my, my late father. Um, look, and, and I touched on a couple of uh, yeah. coaches that I had. Um, you know, and I, I think I think that they were fantastic. Um, John Buchanan, Jeff Hammond, um, some of, some of my teammates that I, I played cricket with. Um, you know, I, I always look at look at a guy like Glenn McGrath, who um, you know, for me, just you know, people would always laugh and. You know, he was asked in the media about his predictions for for the Ashes series, what the result's going to be. And he'd always say, oh, we're going to win 5-0. And, <laughs> and I know all the English press are going, oh, here we go, again, Glenn McGrath being arrogant and all this. But, but one thing about Glenn that really stood out for me 
was, I mean, you only, have to, you only have to spend two minutes in the guy's presence to know he's the most non-arrogant person in the world. Um, he's very much a matter-of-fact type of person because he and his belief in himself and his belief in his teammates is the real differentiator. Um, and I know I've used that word a couple of times. And and he, he would say, well, hang on a minute. We're going to bat well. You know, our guys are going to bat well. We're going to do this. He's going to bat well. He's going to bat well. He's going to bat well. And we're going to get over 400. And then I know I'm going to bowl well. And he'd go, Dizzy, I know you're going to bowl well. And I know Warney's going to bowl well. And I know Casper's going to bowl well. And, and we'll bowl them out twice. And we win the game. And then we'll do that over and over and over again. And we win five <laughs> So his analytical mind, he thinks that way. Yeah. Um, There's a belief in there, isn't there, as well? You've got to believe absolute, it. Yeah. An absolute belief. And... Yeah. There's no arrogance, and his belief comes. You know, I remember. I remember asking Glenn. You know, when we were playing together, I, I said, "Mate, what's your secret?" Like, to, you know, because you, you're dominating all around the world. You take wickets in all conditions. You win games of cricket, and and he said to me, "Dizzy, I have to be honest, mate. I I don't swing the ball. I don't seam it. I'm not the fastest bowler in the world, right? But I know I can hit that spot on the wicket 95 times out of 100. If I do that, I'm going to take wickets, right?" Just very, again, very matter-of-fact, not arrogant. Um, Simple. And then I delved in, well, how do you get it to hit that spot on the wicket? And he said, well, I practice. So there's no, no secret, but he just honed that and honed that and honed that over the years, backed up with his absolute belief in himself, his belief in his teammates, belief in the team, and just that real positive outlook on, on everything. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I've often said to players, I, I saw Glenn, he'd, he'd be on the physio table and he'd, I knew he was in a lot of pain. He had a bad ankle and we'd be playing a test match and uh, I knew his ankle was in a lot of pain. Um, and you'd say, hey, Pidge, how are you, mate? And he'd just turn to you and say, never better, and just continue on. And I remember him walking back to his mark in games of cricket and you could see he was in pain. So, Pidge, everything all right, mate? And he'd just turn around, you go, never better, and keep going. And it, it just really resonated with me, that, that type of attitude. Um, you know, he was absolutely brilliant. And you used a word in there, or you alluded to something that was always stuck with me from a previous conversation we had. It's about, actually, you can know it and you can say what needs to be done, but you have to execute it. You know, and if you can't yeah. execute the skill, then it doesn't matter how good you are at talking about it. And actually, that's one of the things that's yeah. really come through from what you say, but also talking about Glenn, you know, he, he believed it, but he could execute it through the practice. Yeah, well, well, the, you get the confidence, don't you, from yeah. the practice, um, yeah. which, which is the evidence. So, you know, if you can go walk away from a training session going, geez, I've improved my skills here, you know, and over a course of a few months, I've really improved my skills here. There's the evidence. And that gives you that, I suppose, that confidence to then go out and... Confidence and belief again, isn't it? (laughs) And confidence, belief, yeah. It all kind of intertwines, doesn't it? So, so yeah. So, that's where it's at, yeah. Fantastic. Jason, and, and my very last question then would always be, you know, you've been really humble and open and honest and shared some, some great stories, but also really let us into your world and where you're going forward. Um, and, and I thank you for that, for sharing your kind of sports journey, because I know you do it regularly, but I, I really learned bits about you as well that I never knew before. Whose sports story would you be curious about hearing more of it and why? Jeez, you've just put me on the spot, Dave. Um, <laughs> wow. Uh, whose sports story? Um, I think, 
you look at it, you know, I think sometimes we lost the, the, some sports stories of someone that maybe didn't quite succeed. Um, uh, but did they give themselves the very best chance? Um, so, I mean, any number of people would, would fit that criteria, I suppose. Um, but you've put me on the spot a bit. I, I think um, I think Roger Federer would be quite mm. an interesting one, wouldn't it? Um, yeah. you know, I, and I'm not a huge tennis fan, I have to be honest. But yeah, yeah. I think just the way he's gone about it, his longevity yeah. in the game, yeah. um, I think it'd be a fascinating tale. Yeah, um, yeah just the way he's gone about it. I, I'm actually fascinated by the fact that when he does his press conferences, he does them in four languages. I find that <laughs> impressive. That's pretty four amazing in languages. itself. <laughs> I, I, find that, I find that extraordinary. Uh, someone who can't speak another language... Um, other than rhyming slang. Um, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> we're doing all right, though, aren't we, Jace? We're doing all right. <laughs> we're, we're doing all right, mate. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, all I can say is a, a huge thank you again for giving up the time. I know it's, as I said, coming towards the end of your time in the UK. I'm pretty sure you've got loads going on, helping the team out right to the end, because I know that's your commitment to, to mm. you know, live your days out and do the best you can every day. So, again, Jace, thanks very much for sharing it. Really, really good luck going back home and, and with, with the team back home. I know, I know you've been there before, but I know that the extra additional energy that you can put to it um, mm. will only add further value and leave a, a greater legacy back there as well. So yeah, no. th- th- thanks for sharing your story. If people are keen to sort of keep in contact with you, um, how's the best way just to follow the rest of the journey? Is it through any social media channels or, or what would be best? Oh, yeah, well, well obviously, I'm on uh, the on the tweet with that dizzy two five nine and which is right. the same on uh, Instagram. I'm, I'm still learning how to use Instagram. <laughs> yeah. to be honest. Most people are, I think. I think, <laughs> I, I think yeah, I battle with that one, but I, I will get that up and running a bit more uh, prominent, I suppose, in, in, in time to come. But yeah, yeah on the, the Twitter handle, yeah, at dizzy two five nine. So yeah, follow me. I'll, I put some, put some rubbish up there every now and again. Oh, there's, some good, <laughs> there's some good stuff up there as well, mate. There's every now good. and again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> brilliant well good luck I better let you get off to go and do what you need to do but Jay thanks no a lot keep in touch um, and, and don't forget us back over here because there's still some work to be done here as well so keep in touch alright no, I'll, I'll be back in County Cricket at some point in the future Dave I do love County Cricket it's fantastic so alright mate catch you Very later good. good stuff thanks a lot well that was a real pleasure talking with Jason it was not just what he said but, but also the way in which he shared his story and his experiences that hit me I found the conversation to be really informal, relaxed and humbling in the way he shared some of the light bulb moments, challenges, opportunities and influences. What was also really clear to see was his determination, clarity of purpose and a view of what good looks like. Yet a real appreciation that his role now as a coach is not to show how good he is, like he used to have to do as a bowler, but how to get the best out of other people. I do love it when you come upon somebody who is striving for and demonstrating high performance and success in a team whilst holding clear to a strong ethical and moral compass. For me, Jason epitomizes this. The question that comes to my mind following the conversation and that I'd like to pose to you are as follows. There is a clear theme of the importance of self-belief and having belief. So therefore, who is the person or persons in your life that have and currently show unwavering belief in you and how do they show this? Also, the theme of trust came through in the conversation. What is your relationship to trust? Do you trust others until it's broken, or do people have to earn it before you trust them? A couple of big questions to ponder. Another area that the conversation has left me being curious about is how past experiences inform our present role and approach. 
Jason mentioned the importance of his family, as well as a number of significant events and individuals. I would love to possibly explore this further with him at some stage. As always, I'd love to hear your takeaways. What have you learned? What did resonate with you? I'd also be keen to hear what further questions it has raised for you. Many of you have dropped me a line in the past, and it's really appreciated as it does really inform further conversations. So thanks very much. So as a quick reminder, you can contact me via the usual social network channels and via the website www.sportsstories247.com. Reviews on Apple are really appreciated and help me share more sports stories with people looking to create their own personal stories and memories through sport. I've also got some really exciting news and that the Sports Stories Academy will be launched very soon where there will be tons of great resources, information available to help you continue on the journey to be the best version of yourself. Why not have a look and in Jason's view, don't leave any stones unturned in your journey to be the very best version of you. So with these wise words in mind, it just leaves me to say a big thanks and good luck to Mr. Jason Gillespie for joining me today on the verge of his departure back to his coaching role back in South Australia. And an even bigger thanks to you, the listener. Without your input, engagement, comments and feedback, the podcast would not be here and moving forward really positively. So thanks. So to sign off, I'll be here again next week. I look forward to having you join me where we will be touching on very important issues of duty of care and mental well-being in and around sport with another fantastic and knowledgeable guest. So from me, Dave Levine, and the Sports Stories podcast team, have a great week and look after yourself.